0: Hello there friend, this is LTE, podcast brought to you by the Register Guard Opinion Page. I'm your devilishly handsome host, Brendan O'Meara, hey hey. Today's guest is Chandra LeGui. She works for the conservation group Oregon Wild and is also the author of Oregon's Ancient Forests: A Hiking Guide. It is published by Mountaineers Books. We talk about the nature of her work as well as digging into the secret mission behind the hiking guide. There's also a letter to the editor.
1: Check for ticks on your furry family members.
0: Ooh, good stuff. If you want to support the podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe to the show, but also consider subscribing to the Register Guard so we can keep these conversations going. Follow the show on Instagram at Guard underscore opinion. You can follow me, but I won't do you a whole lot of good as I'm taking an indefinite social media sabbatical. Okay. All right. You ready? Let's do this. Hope you enjoy this latest LTE pod with Chandra LeGui.
1: Well, yeah, I work for the organization Oregon Wild, and I've been there for about 16 years. Um, My title is Western Oregon Field Coordinator, but that doesn't really tell you much about what it is I do, um, but it's primarily focused around um, advocating for policies on our federal uh, public lands uh, that help meet Oregon Wild's mission, which is to protect and restore Oregon's wildlands, wildlife, and waters as an enduring legacy.
0: Yeah, and what do you think are some of the, the great challenges that you face you know on a, on a day-to-day basis when you you know you look out?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, I see a lot of um, hope and power in the fact that so many Oregonians really care about the natural world, about protecting our public lands, um, uh, caring for our waters, our wildlife. Um, But at the same time, yeah, there are a lot of challenges. One of those challenges uh, is just that there's a lot of political force and a lot of... um, a lot of money in that that's uh, sort of working at odds to, um, to those values that I feel like most people share. And so we're working up uphill a lot of times against some of those forces that have already destroyed an awful lot of the natural world around us.
0: Mm. So when you read stuff from uh, you know pro timber foresters, what are what are some things that kind of raise your hackles when you when you read that content? And it's it, you're like ah, this is something I need to really sort of speak out against.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's several things, and you know I think there's a lot of reasonable people that you know speak intelligently about you know forestry and the timber industry, um, but I feel like talking about that work as being uh, sustainable is one of the things that really gets under my skin and part of that is because it's hard to maybe agree on what that term means and a forester might look at um, at what at what they're doing on the ground as sustainable in a very narrow range of what they mean by that which is you know growing and harvesting trees um, and then Cutting them down and growing and harvesting them again so that, you know, for them might be sustainable. But for um, an advocate for the, you know, forest ecosystem and the natural world, um, I don't think of it that way. I think of how we've already degraded soil and water quality and converted healthy, functioning, ancient forests into tree farms. Um, and that, that has shifted the balance away from sustainability. Um, and so, anyway, it's it's like we're not talking um, about the same the words in the same way. Mm. And that's frustrating and I, I don't really have a good answer for how to change that. Um, but I think that it's important that we address that maybe we're not talking about the, uh, not defining words in in the same way.
0: What's the challenge you think of finding common ground?
1: Yeah, I think one of the problems is that you know to find common ground, it, it would be nice to be starting with an even playing field, and I don't think that we're there. I think that you know we've already logged about eighty percent of the natural forests that were once in Oregon, and so that balance has shifted. And so you know, coming to common ground on those terms isn't exactly fair and balanced. So, you know, it's good to kind of back up and, and think about, well, you know, if, if we had a starting point that was, um, that, was that was balanced, we, we might be able to find common ground, but we're not starting at that point. Um, you know, if we, if we had healthy populations of salmon and, you know, really high water quality um, because we've protected, you know, the majority of our forest lands, um, then we might be able to find more common ground.
0: What do you think it would take to even the playing field? What would that look like? You
1: no know, I think a lot of it comes with trying to restore the natural function of our ecosystems that's a, that's a that's a big big lift it it means ensuring that forests are uh, have all the components that they need with biodiversity, and the soil is functioning to filter our water. That um, there's a lot of species. Uh, you know, it's, it's a complicated web of life that needs to have all these tools so that nature can sort of repair itself. And there's ways that humans can um, help with that, but it has to be based on the intention of restoring the, you know, the the function of our the world that surrounds us.
0: Yeah, in and in a recent blog post that you wrote. Um, you said something to the effect of, you know, uh, you know, trying to inform people to understand some of the nuance behind your advocacy. And now what is what is that nuance look like to you? you
1: no, know, I think part of what I meant by that is that um, for many people, they want to do the right thing for the environment that they care about for the forests or for, you know, um the wolves, or the salmon, or you know, wildlife they care about, and um, and they don't, maybe don't know the best way to do that, mm-hmm. and um, and so you know, part of my work at Oregon Wild is to to hopefully help empower people, give people the tools and the skills that ne- they need to understand where they can best put their efforts, you know, for some behind something that they care about. So whether it's um, understanding what it is that. Uh, Congress has power over for example you know what what should you write Congressman DeFazio or Senator Wyden about what can they what difference can they make versus what difference can the Lane County Commissioners make or what difference can um, can you make by volunteering for a local nonprofit organization um, you know you know working uh, you know at Mount Pisgah um, so there's lots of ways for people to be advocates for things they care about and um, sometimes people just don't know where to start
0: what do you find Uh, maybe as an organization, but even personally to be maybe the most, you know, frustrating part of the work you're doing?
1: I think, uh, I think one of the most frustrating things is that, uh, and this is the case, if you look at any, any extractive industry, uh, whether you're talking about coal production or timber production, um, there's a bottom line there and there's extraction that lies at the heart of of the advocacy that that those industries do and I find that that's pretty much directly at odds with the common shared values many of the rest of us have who are just trying to you know have a clean source of drinking water or a place to hike that is uh, safe and beautiful and so it, it, so you know regular people are kind of up against a lot. Um, of uh, from from those sorts of industries that have um, I don't know I guess degraded the the things that the rest of us are enjoying Um, and that 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 sort of power um, from from industries like that comes in the form of money and political influence that you know the little guy (laughs) um, or the the wildlife or you know the rivers that we enjoy don't have And so, um, being the voice for those that are powerless, um, is kind of one of the, the challenges of any, of any advocate.
0: Yeah. And I suspect too, like with the, with the book you, you wrote about hiking the ancient forests, like that can really affect people like on almost a person to person basis, which is important, but at the same time you want to. Try to affect something at scale too that can actually move mountains instead of pebbles. So
1: yeah, but you know every 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 one person can make a difference, um, especially banding together. And so you know if someone goes for a hike in a beautiful place and they're moved to want to learn more about what they can do to become more active in protecting that place, for example, they can they can find ways of banding together with other individuals, organizations um, who share that commitment to, to protecting that place. And, um, and so that, that can be very empowering. And, and that is what I was trying to do, um, with, with the hiking guide is, you know, everyone can, can go for a hike on their own. And, um, if they, you know, can take the time to to learn a little bit more and get connected, um, that's, that's how we can move those mountains.
0: And what was the experience like, uh, you know, researching the book, which of course, you know, took you to all sorts of, uh, you know, wonderful places in in Oregon. You know what was what was that like as you were uh, you know researching it, and then of course sitting down to write it. Uh,
1: it was it was a great experience. I mean, who who wouldn't want to get out and, and right. go hiking around Oregon for about a year? Um, it was. I feel very fortunate, but um, so so I got to do that. But but I would say that one of the things that really hit home in, in many places across the state is just how precious these remaining unlogged, uh, you know, undeveloped forests are, because there are so few of them, and sometimes they're in very small pockets, they're along river corridors that right outside have no protections and look completely different, Um, you know hiking in the Opal Creek Wilderness which is this absolutely spectacular cathedral forest that so many people just find so inspiring, you know, I know in doing the research that that was almost all logged you know, like 30 years ago. And it was only because people, you know, were con- concerned enough and spoke up enough that it, that it wasn't. And so that was really powerful to me is that, you know, here I am, you know, hiking these beautiful places so I can share it with people.
0: Yeah, and if you just read the the cover of the book, it, it would strike you as merely, not merely, but merely like I, this is just a bunch of hikes to do. But it seems like it comes from a place of um, environmental desperation, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. With so few of these forests left, I, I really think it's important that people understand why they're valuable um, to all of us. You know, um, as as a natural ecosystem, um, and and for our future. Um, but then also, um, but then yeah, also like you know how how we got to this point in history, um, or this point in time. You know, um, why are there so few left? And and then if we you know value what's left you know how can we um ensure that they're here into the future
0: right yeah. well well Chandra, this this is really great that i hope this is the first of many conversations we'll have going forward this is like really a pleasure and uh, and as we kind of sign off here i've i've earmarked a letter to the editor for you to read um if you wouldn't mind uh read the headline the letter and then who wrote it
1: Okay, um, and this, this one hits home for me. I've had some experiences with ticks. Um, this is from Friday, November 29th, 2019, and the headline, or the, the headline says, Check for Ticks on Your Furry Family Members. While I have lived in Oregon my whole life, I had only seen ticks up the Columbia River Gorge. About eight years ago, we started finding ticks on our dogs who run through the grass on our country property. I even had one embedded in my back after my dog deposited one on my bed. Usually the ticks peak in mid to late spring, so we stopped checking carefully. A few days ago, our dog started acting in a bizarre manner. He refused to come in in the house, even though it was freezing outside. We were besides ourselves as we thought it was dementia or cataracts. He would shake and shiver. My wife fortunately found a tick under his collar. After removing the tick, he immediately got better and now comes in the house, doesn't shake, etc. I was surprised this happened after freezing temperatures. We all know ticks carry Lyme disease on the East Coast mainly, but here it's rare. However, ticks carry a number of nanobacteria, such as Bartonella, which can cause fatigue, vascular inflammation, and even strokes. So, it is important to check for ticks apparently most of the year. By Stephen Kimberly from Eugene
0: fantastic well cool that was awesome (laughs) well thanks so much chandra Uh, thanks for coming on lte and uh and and sharing your insights and i look forward like i said before i look forward to doing this a, a whole lot more going forward thanks brendan good times had by all no i think so last call here at the end of the pod, the kindly ask you to subscribe to the show and share it among your various networks. We always want to hear from you, so please submit your letters to the editor, rgletters at registerguard.com, or by mailing them to 3500 Chad Drive. Is that going to do it? I think that's it, friends. See you here next week for another LTE.